Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out all the stuff we've been riding recently, including our flash review of the Forbidden Dreadnought and a whole lot more over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we want to make sure you're aware of some changes to the camping regulations in the Gunnison Valley, particularly at the north end of the valley up around Crested Butte. Some formerly dispersed camping areas there have been converted to designated sites only, so please check out the article we've linked to in the show notes before you head out to make sure you're up to date on all the changes. Manitou's Dorado Downhill Fork first hit the market more than 20 years ago, and it just got a complete overhaul to the all-new fourth generation. The inverted layout remains, and the carbon upper tubes from the original are back, but there's a whole lot more that's new and interesting about the fork. So to get the rundown on the new Dorado and all three of its versions, we called up Manitou Project Manager Phil Ott to have him talk about all the details. We run through everything you need to know about the past and present of the Dorado and get into it about the pros and cons of inverted forks, the trade-offs inherent to varying fork offset, and a whole bunch more. This is a super fun conversation about a very exciting new fork, so let's get right into my chat with Phil. All right. Well, everybody, welcome to Bikes and Big Ideas. I'm here with Phil Ott, who is a product manager at Manitou, and we're talking about the new Dorado DH fork that Manitou has just released. So, hey, Phil, how are you and where are you today? Um, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm in Gunnison, Colorado. I got a great ride in last night and yeah, everything's all good. Excellent. So... In the launch materials, you guys noted that the Dorado is, I think, as you put it, the longest standing inverted downhill fork on the market. And so this new version brings us to what I believe is the fourth generation of the Dorado now, or fourth main generation of the chassis, at least, with some other smaller updates along the way. And so before we kind of get into the new fork, I think we could do a quick rundown of the history of the old ones. So the, if I have it right, the first generation Dorado came out in... 2001 that was the 30 millimeter stanchion version with uh carbon uppers and was kind of where the dorado started that only lasted for a couple years and then the second gen got updated in 2004 a little bit bigger stanchions anything else you want to say about those first couple in terms of their history and what was going on with those yeah so so the first one was 2001 to 2003 carbon uppers 180 millimeters to travel and it used a coil spring damper. You know, it's definitely hit. we've come a long way. We'll we'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, 2004 to 2006, yeah, we went to that 32 mil, and it again had carbon uppers. And there was a two models. There was a 180 mil travel coil that had a coil back IFP damper, which is pretty. You know, it's it's pretty cool to see we were doing that back then. And then the um, there's an MRD X works bumped it out to that long travel 203 which is which is cool to see and the had a what we call it it's called stable platform valve spv and it was like a kind of like an air backed ifp damper that uh cool idea but yeah we've we've obviously come up with some some better ways to do things but yeah it's 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 crazy to see how far this fork has come and and where it started and i remember having buddies with those forks and just like coveting them <laughs> seeing all that carbon <laughs> yeah those were those were the cool forks for a bit there yeah so then we moved into the third generation the most recent one which had a an impressively long run started in 2010 and 
with some updates to be sure, uh, stuck around for about 10 years. So that was an aluminum chassis, except for a few of the early, early ones had a carbon upper, but then aluminum chassis for the most part, 36 millimeter stanchions in both the pro and expert versions. And that's that fork involved, used a lot of the sort of technology that we've kind of gotten used in some of the more modern Manitou products. Like uh, at somewhere along the line, it got updated to use the IRT dual positive air spring. Well, take it from there. What else do you have to say about the, the outgoing one? Yeah. So in 2009 was, was that MRD carbon one you're talking about. And then 2010 is like the real, uh, the pro and when the aluminum chassis came in, yeah, a few updates. We did IRT and TSR, the trailside relief bleeder valves, I think in 2015, uh, boost axle and dropouts in 2019. And then there was some other air spring and damper changes throughout the, the way. But yeah, like you said, it's TPC Plus, Dorado Air, all these technologies that we've refined and are continuing to use. That was really where they where they came from those forks kind of cool sort of seeing that 2009 2010 when that fork came out everything was still 26 for the most part and in large part i think because it's an inverted fork you guys were able to just kind of roll it into being 27.5 and 29 without actually having to (laughs) change a whole lot you know you don't have the same constraints of needing different lowers and what have you that you do on a traditional layout and so it was sort of future-proofed a little bit from that standpoint and just kind of kept going yeah and there was some companies using it for 29 inch downhill testing a long time ago like way before we saw it hit mainstream uh and it was cool to show that the the adaptability of that fork we actually had a kit 29 inch wheel conversion kit for that fork i can't remember i don't you know i don't know if it actually ever made it out there but i've seen it in use um so yeah, it definitely future-proofed. Uh, was really easy to roll it into the different wheel sizes. And yeah, definitely a special fork. It was. I remember the first time I rode one. I, I was actually talking with the head engineer the other day. I couldn't remember if it was 2009 or 2010 that I got mine, but um, it's cool. Rode it at Angel Fire. I remember the first time riding World Cup, and then coming back and what we're going to talk about this new fork riding that same track. Eleven years later was was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I had, I think, tw- somewhere around 2010, 2011, had one of those as well. Because I mostly had it on a Turner DHR for a while. And yeah, it was particularly for first day, it was a really impressive fork. And with that, let's get into the the new version that's just come out. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we have three models of the new fork, which is new for us uh the flagship is the dorado pro and we've brought back the the carbon upper tubes the the carbon upper tubes they're dropping off somewhere in the tuna like 250 grams off the chassis weight uh there's increased stiffness and um to me some other damping benefits in there as well but that that fork is has a new damper in it it's a TPC plus, but it's a sealed damper now with a spring back IFP. Um, and I'll get into what we're, what kind of the old damper was in, in a second. But so that, that damper was a huge upgrade just in itself and going to the carbon chassis. And it uses the a Dorado air system with IRT. The, the ratios are reworked between the positive and negative. So it's, it's not going to, it's not like we just took the old one, put it in the new one. Um, 
there's definitely some better small bump, um, increased mid-stroke support from what we're able to do in the main. And then, as you know, from the, the IRT, really kind of round out that tuning package. Might be worth just backing up for people who aren't super familiar. The IRT system is essentially a uh, dual positive air spring where you have two separate chambers to the the positive spring, one running significantly higher pressure than the other. The idea being that you kind of get the sort of main chamber uh, ramping up in pressure a bit more quickly than you would in a more traditional layout. And then once the pressures between the two equalize, you have the second chamber coming into play and effectively increasing the volume of the whole system so that it ramps up less quickly from then on out. And so you can kind of make the fork ramp up faster through the mid-stroke and add some support without then having it continue to ramp up like crazy and be impossible to use full travel. And uh, I was certainly been really impressed with that system in the Mezer Endurofork. You can see our uh, review of that up on the site. It does what it's supposed to really nicely. So excited to check that out in the Dorado. The, the one that I owned back in the day predated that system, so I've not ridden it in a Dorado to this point. And uh, looking forward to checking that out. Awesome. Yeah, uh, you just couldn't have said it better myself with your IRT explanation there. <laughs> that was that was perfect. Yeah, and then the the expert and the comp use the same chassis. It's a, it's an aluminum chassis, which are both uh, certified for e bike use, also, uh, which is kind of cool. I think we'll see some interesting options opening up there. Um, but these the the expert uses the the Dorado Air, but our IVA which is uh, incremental volume adjust. This is a, a, a volume adjustment system that is all self-contained. So you can move spacers on either side of a piston to change the, the, the positive air volume instead of adding or removing a separate uh, volume reducer. So it's all makes it a lot, lot easier, no extra parts there. Um, and this expert is using a, a TPC plus damper that's more what we might be used to seeing in the um, the previous generation, which is a it's a half cartridge or a semi open, and it's basically bleeds as you as you first ride the fork or you first set the fork up, it'll bleed itself, and um, the compensation for the oil expanding just can go up into the chamber. And this makes it really easy to service, and it's it's just a it's kind of a simpler package. What has changed is we took the HBO and redesigned it, and actually submerged it all the way in the oil, so it's a lot more consistent. We opened up a lot of the bleed paths. Uh, there's new compression, there's new rebound tunes, um, new pistons. So it's going to have uh, a much higher temperature operating range. Uh, it handles heat better, and it's it's just better in kind of the small blump compliance than the old one. Um, so big improvements to that expert damper as well. We kind of, we, we have three forks, three brand new dampers. Uh, there's nothing really that, that carried over from, from any of those. Um, and then the, the comp is a coil spring, which it's been for those keeping track uh, about 15 years since we've had a coil option, uh, six rates, external preload, on that, and um, for the damper, we used it's a, it's an inleg ABS plus, which for those Manitou fans have seen ABS plus used anywhere from cross country to dirt jump to trail. It's a super adaptable uh, damper 
that's um that yeah we, we we have a tune that we're pretty happy with on the dorado um and then everything uses uh it's a there's more clicks in the rebound in between so if you were in between a setting before we've we've added some fine tuning there on all of them yeah so that's kind of a little overview of what we have going on with the new ones yeah and uh just sort of to round some of the details out do i have it right that the Airsprung versions, the Pro and the Expert, you can adjust to 80, 180, 190, or 203 millimeter travel. Is And then the uh, coil comp is fixed. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Right. Okay, sweet. And also probably worth noting that all of them essentially use the same chassis for both 27.5 and 29-inch uh, wheels, but then you have uh, two different sets of crowns to change offset and then the 29er crown is a drop crown whereas you have a flat upper crown for the 27.5 offset is that correct that's correct yep and uh the way that it works is the there's a there's a line for the ride height for the two different wheels on both fork legs and you you mount that flush to the the bottom of the lower crown uh, for such a wheel size and then there's we have a chart in the owner's manual that'll let you see based on your head tube length what offsets you can run in wheel sizes um but they're really optimized long for 29 short for 27.5 but there is some adaptability that's available there Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense and you know like we were saying before with a inverted fork you can as you've just described you can just sort of drop the lower crown to compensate for axle to crown height for the different wheel sizes and you're kind of there you don't have the same constraints imposed by an arch that you have to in the lower casting you have to deal with so um for people who are potentially messing around with different front wheel sizes and going back and forth that's maybe a nice sort of added feature to have a little bit less to have to change out to make that happen another point that i think is kind of worth highlighting is uh you know, we talked about all of the different features and different spring and damper options in the three different levels of the fork. But uh, if I have it right, you can also sort of do some mixing and matching if you're so inclined to take things apart and swap them out, right? The, uh, for example, you you could upgrade the an expert to have the add the IRT sort of top cap and assembly in if you wanted to do that, or the the parts are all swappable essentially. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that that IRT upgrade and the expert is something we're foreseeing a lot of people doing. Um, you could buy a comp and put the the sealed TPC plus damper in it if you wanted. Like um, absolutely everything is is uh, swap around. If you did want to buy a pro and put a coil spring in it, you can do that, but you can't go back to air. Uh, coil is going to mar the inside sealing surface of that leg. Um, so once you go coil, you can't go back. <laughs> right. Pretty standard, though. I guess yeah. with a dual crown, you can at least replace the individual leg if you really have to, rather than having to do a whole new crown steer upper assembly. But yeah, you're you're into, Absolutely. You're into new parts at that point, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's sort of nice that there's some modularity there, and you can you can experiment if you're so inclined to mix and match and get a little weird with it. <laughs> Definitely. So I guess a few other details that we haven't touched on yet. We're now up to 37 millimeter stanchions on this fork uh, from 36 on the outgoing one, kind of then 
incrementally inching upward in uh, stanchion diameter over the generations, like we talked about. And uh, so I'm assuming kind of the main thinking behind that was just increased stiffness and trying to beat things up a little bit. Is there a whole lot more to it than that? or? Uh, yeah, so th- there's a few things, and, and it's a balancing act. Um, you can you can make a, a 50 mil stanchion fork, and it's going to be super stiff. Uh, but your seals are all going to grow in size, and with that increased size, there's going to be increased friction. Um, that your your initial feel is not going to be quite as good. The other side of that is uh, air chambers. You're going to have these really large internal air chambers. So there's a balancing act between stiffness, uh, friction, and then what we actually want to put inside the fork. For what we wanted to do from an air spring and damper standpoint, we knew we had to grow. Um, 37, we had done a lot of testing with the measure and found that that was like a really nice balance of, of the stiffness and the initial breakaway. So we, we, we kind of knew we wanted to go in that direction. Um, the other thing is with a dual crown fork with head tubes and then really large upper tubes, that's going to limit your steering there. So 37 is another good spot that we, you know, it, it kind of fit the bill. We're not going to affect the, the low speed turning. It's basically, you know, just getting your, your bike into your house kind of thing. You're not really ever going to use that full range riding, but in theory, you could make a fork so big that it could affect that. Um, so we we kind of found the balance of of, of all those and, and landed on 37. And we knew we wanted to make a, a stiffer fork. So we answered that there. And we wanted to make a, a fork that we could would be on the top of the World Cup again. And kind of like in, in 2010 when the last fork came out, like that just it was it was above everything else. And the old fork was eleven years old. We knew there were some improvements to be made. So once we answered the, the chassis stiffness and um, we, we started looking at the damper and what we needed to do with the air spring there. Makes sense. And so sort of to go along with some of that a little bit, you know, like we've been saying, it's an inverted fork, which is the Dorado has been throughout the entire run. Why have you guys stuck with that layout? I mean, apart from it just being part of the kind of the, the fork's identity and part of its DNA, what do you see as being the advantages? There aren't a ton of inverted forks on the market at this point, And uh, the Dorado is a little bit of an outlier in that regard. Yeah, definitely. So I guess first and foremost, an inverted fork has more bushing overlap than a traditional fork while being able to keep the, the axle of the crown and, and, um, and travel and everything in check. So that increased bushing overlap is going to help uh, the fork be smooth, especially when you get into those really chunky weird holes the the, the kind of hits and steep sections that that are going to deform a fork and, and cause binding with that the the, the four aft stiffness plays into it as well it's able to maintain a smooth feel when it's put into these odd hits which are normal for a downhill rider but <laughs> we'll, we'll call them odd uh so yeah that, the bushing overlap and the, the four aft stiffness is huge Next is the the torsional compliance. So, um, as you had your Dorado uh, back in the day, you you probably felt like the the tracking and off cambers, the the roots and rock gardens. The, the fork is able to hold a line and not get deflected, like other more st- 
stiff chassis and there's um you know there's advantages to every situation but we feel if you want to go from point a to point b downhill as fast as possible having a fork that's forgiving stays on its line tracks well and it's going to be easier on your body is is going to be beneficial for that and um that that torsional compliance um definitely helps with all those trackings then there's uh the the fact that an inverted fork constantly has lubrication on the seals and bushings which is going to keep them wet wet seals wet um wet bushings they're, they're going to slide much easier uh these forks have really long service lives um you can yes yeah, it's, it's it's kind of crazy like compared to a, a traditional upright fork how these things keep on feeling pretty good um, up until their 50 hour. Need to change the the bath oil on those. Um, and there's some other features like the the way that we wanted to do the internals. Um, but but really, it's just we 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 like the chassis. We like how it performs in the downhill environment, and we like how we can we can tune it to just really give confidence to the rider. That's really interesting about the stiffness in particular. And so kind of reading between the lines of what you said a little bit, is it, do you think it's right to say that your take is that uh, the four aft stiffness is really what is impacting kind of the fork binding up as you're like, you talked about you're, you're hitting it through a hole and that's the, that's the sort of bending mode that, really causes the fork to bind up and not be able to slide as smoothly and a bit of torsional movements a little bit it's a little more forgiving towards that and a little more able to slide when things are twisting rather than having that four half bending yeah i mean there, there's a lot of ways and there's a lot of different ways that the fork can impact and move but that that four half stiffness and the bushing overlap definitely helps keep that fork moving when it when it doesn't need to be and even just I'm sorry, what it needs to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, riding like this fork back to back with a measure, same tracks, it's it's crazy what, when this fork still stays composed compared to um, like a single crown fork or, or an other d- traditional da- uh, dual crown fork. That's interesting. And yeah, it's a, it's a, a little bit of a, a different perspective on it. You kind of see in marketing of a lot of other forks, coming out you're just everything is stiff or always every direction is kind of the the mantra that you hear from a lot of people and uh, frankly it's been quite a while since i rode an inverted fork you know it's been a bit and uh (laughs) you know after going through the last i don't know it's probably been seven or eight years since i had that that last Dorado. So, uh, that, which is the last inverted fork i spent time on and you know last bit of you know all that progression and everything else that's out there. And, uh, I'm really curious to see how that feels in comparison to everything that I've been getting used to over, you know, over that last big period of time, I, I can definitely see it. I can, I can imagine, you know, the stuff you're talking about and, um, just really interested to see how it shakes out. Yeah. It's, it's pretty. So when in 20, 19, when we went to boost dropouts, just the, the boost front wheel, and the in, in the wider fork that definitely helped with some of that 
torsional stiffness and it was a little bit more of a precise force, especially when you get into like, every, everyone loves cut and burns now. No one wants to ride nice and wide, high, <laughs> take these nice smooth lines. So when you're, you're cutting into the last, you just th- throwing the bike in. Um, that's where, where I really noticed that, that first improvement. Um, then we went to the, the 37 chassis. And that was like a huge step up. The The boost was like a, it was a gain. You could tell it. 37 was, was huge, just massive. When you throw it into those, those conditions where maybe the, the torsional didn't feel quite as positive as, as like trying to hold a line through a rock garden or an off camber. And then the, what's really cool is the, the carbon chassis versus the aluminum. Like there's even more gain in that carbon chassis when it comes to the precision and, and the stiffness. So if I remember right, the sort of stated gains are 20 some odd percent increase in stiffness, both torsionally and for after the, the new carbon chassis, as opposed to the, the outgoing one, which is a fair bit. Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. The carbon um, is 27 and the aluminum's 20. Yeah. Okay. Um, we, we try not to get too hung up on those numbers uh, because the way that, but we, we keep it consistent. We measure everything the same exact way. We've done it for a long time. So that's that's where we're at. But David's fork flexometer, um, you might find that it was a 32% gain or sure. in one way. Yeah. So everyone's a yeah. little different there. But yeah. yeah. So we're calling it a 20 to 27% in both four aft and uh, torsional. And yeah, that 27 is on the carbon, the, the 20 is on the aluminum. Yeah, I mean that's that's a fair bit. That's that's significant. Um, yeah, very interested to see how that feels. One other thing I wanted to ask about: uh, we talked a little bit about the offset options on the fork already, but don't think we stated the numbers yet. And it is the twenty-seven-five fork gets forty-seven millimeter offset crowns, and then the longer offset ones are fifty-seven for the twenty-nine er. Like you said, there is, I guess, depending on head tube length, some ability to mix and match depending, but. I'm sort of curious why the you guys opted to go for such significantly longer offsets than you do on single crown forks like the Mezer. So, for example, that uh, in 27.5 has options for 37 or 44 millimeter offset, and then the 29er versions 44 or 51, which is pretty much in line with most of the other single crowns out there. Um, but then, yeah, the Dorado's significantly longer offset than that, and I'm curious for your thinking behind that well this is the topic that might put us over time but we'll (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll dig in um so the trail that that's the key number to consider when you're considering steering characteristics and downhill bikes with slacker head angles and longer offsets have a similar trail as the the same wheel sizes with enduro bikes with less slack head angles and shorter offsets um, DH bikes have always had longer trail numbers for more stability at speed and single crown bikes have only recently kind of moved in that direction. So with that, we're also seeing trail bikes for the most part have longer reaches. Um, they're using shorter stems, downhill bikes we're seeing most people using still that 50 mil stem or thereabouts. And th- the reaches are just they're not quite as getting pushed out quite as far as trail because really it's a focused bike on going downhill. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, trail is that trail number is is kind of key, and and we're able to achieve that in the the increased stability with those longer offsets on the downhill bike. 
So I've done a fair bit of experimenting with, with fork offset on a number of different bikes and written quite a bit about it on blister. People can go read quite a few thousand words on that if you're so inclined. <laughs> but one of the, one of the things that I've sort of haven't quite been able to shake in my thinking about it is that I'm not entirely convinced that keeping consistent trail numbers between a trail and a downhill bike is necessarily the goal that makes the most sense to me to aim for in that, I mean, to your point, longer trail does sort of generally make the bike more stable at high speed and kind of floppier and feeling steering when you're going really low speeds and having to turn the bars quite a bit in order to do your steering input as opposed to the faster you're going, the more, the more you're just leading the bike in and less you're actually turning the bar to corner, uh, generally speaking. And it just sort of seems to me that on a downhill bike, you don't need to cater to lower speed kind of climbing speeds and that kind of thing in the way that you do on a trail bike. And so just because you have that difference in the use cases and kind of a more narrowly constrained window that a downhill bike needs to operate in, I'm willing to be convinced otherwise, I guess, maybe, but sort of of the opinion that having them be consistent maybe doesn't make perfect sense to me because the use cases are significantly different and you, you need to cater to a wider range of speeds and so on on a trail bike. Just my two cents on that, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on it. So <laughs> I guess the, the, the first one is is like the whole the whole system. Like we all, everyone has to get on board if you're going to start making changes to downhill bikes that are um, based around significantly different offsets than kind of what we have. So I have done, I have a, my current downhill bikes of Phoenix 2.9. And I've done a significant amount of testing and, and comparing the 47 to the 57 offset crowns on that. And it's cool. Um, I, I really like both of them in different scenarios. For our bike park here in Crested Butte, it's a little lower speed. It's a little tighter, turnier. I really like that 47 offset. Um, it's I have more weight on the front wheel. The rear end can can break loose a little bit easier, and it just feels more consistent through berms. And the straight line stability doesn't really matter to me at, at our bike park. Uh, the bike's already plenty stable. When I was riding at Angel Fire, I went back and forth. The 57 offset was really like on World Cup and these like just crazy fast, open, high speed tracks. The I had more weight on the rear wheel. I felt ba more balanced because it was, you know, the, the wheelbase is stretched out as well with this. And high speed, it was, it was crazy how much more stable it was. The first time I went into a corner, it, was a not what I was expecting it to do. <laughs> like you're saying, you really have to set up wide. You have to be very, um, you really have to lean the bike into these big like GS turns throughout the berms. And I was noticing my lines at Angel Fire compared to everyone else's and they were like way wider set up and continuing wider through everything else. And on that long offset, if I could like calm my mind down not try to come in and throw spray in every turn. <laughs> the 57 offset was pretty amazing. You could really harness what it what it wanted to do. 
at the end, I think I did like three days of testing that trip. And it was really, it's one of my main focuses was, was offset. And I went back and forth uh, multiple times throughout the day to them. And I kind of came to the, the, the conclusion of, for, for me, if I was strong enough, smart enough and wanted to go fast enough, I kind of thought that I would be faster on the 57, um, at least smoother through everything. And then if I wanted to just have fun, throw the bike around, uh, I thought that that 47 kind of catered to that a little bit more, uh, especially on like the, the flow trails and really uh, tighter turns when you're trying to take them at speed. Cause I, I don't think there's any time we're really turning the bike on a downhill bike like it's always a, a carve or a lean right in large part i think that's right yeah it is interesting that you felt like the longer 57 millimeter offset was more stable kind of just straight lining chunky stuff like you were describing on you know world cup for example which yeah, I've, I've ridden there a bit and pretty familiar to be fair a lot of my offset testing has been done on kind of tighter steeper trails where you don't have as much room to open up and be going 40 miles an hour and maybe that's coloring it a little bit uh that's just just puzzling this through in, in real time right now <laughs> kind of figuring out my thoughts um that is really interesting though i think when i've experimented before the place where i've found relatively long offsets to feel most awkward is sort of a bit like you were describing you have kind of medium speed corners where you're able to take a solid amount of speed through them but you're not just fully like in a in a huge sweeping berm only leaning and not really turning the the bars at all you're kind of having to do a combination of a little bit of both and something about the the way that the bars kind of just turn into that has was what felt most off to me running relatively long offsets for the most part but they have a bit about just the straight line stability with the added little bit of wheelbase is really interesting and i guess if you're just absolutely not turning the bars at all it kind of makes some sense that the trail sort of isn't super relevant at that point you're not you don't have the effects of kind of the, the the wheel starting to flop and what have you as you turn the wheel if you're not if you're not doing any turning yeah that's an interesting thought i'm curious to do some more experimenting on this now I'm trying to figure out what the biggest fastest straightaway i can get myself easy access to right now is <laughs> go, go mess around some more and, and steepest too like i think that those those trail values and, and that increased wheelbase and everything will help you like the, the steeper it's going to get um yeah I, i'm interested to see with you and, and so my bike is it's a 460 reach with a plus seven headset i think i have in there does that sound right that sounds believable yeah we'll go with yeah that. So, sure. somewhere around in there so it's it's just under 470 reach on that bike and my forbidden druid's a 485 reach so I mean, just like the, the the differences in reaches between downhill and like, man, I I haven't ridden very little. Have I ridden like a 500 reach downhill bike? Just like a couple couple laps to to try to get used to it. But I think as those things change, 
fork offset, stem length, all that stuff is is going to change with it. But I just this for the most part, it seems like we're still staying kind of in a little bit narrower, more traditional range. Yeah, that's interesting too. So I guess for some some back context on that, the bike that I've spent the most time doing fork offset experimenting with is my uh, Nikolai G16, oh. which is uh, 500 reach, 62 in half head tube angle kind of. I guess it's an enduro bike, but it's a <laughs> <laughs> little bit of an oddball thing. And I've uh, I've run that both with 180 millimeter, 190 millimeter travel dual crowns and. Uh, single crown forks a fair bit and gone, gone back and forth a bunch on that. The downhill bike that I'm spending the most time on right now is a, uh, the new Trek session. And I've got that in the, the big size. So it's 493 reach, I think. So it's a, it's a big bike. That's got a boxer with a 46 millimeter offset. It has the shorter option for a 29er fork and have not done any offset experimenting on that particular bike. But, uh, the 46 shorter offset is actually feeling pretty good for most of the stuff I've been riding on. But again, I haven't gotten it to say angel fire yet and done anything super straight lining and fast. So that's some really good food for thought. I'll mull that over some more and do some more experimenting. Yeah. I'll be, ex- I'll be excited what you, uh, what you hear. And that's kind of my next bike that I'm planning on, on getting is that session. Um, and there's the shoot. I'm going to mess it up. The two and the three. So mm-hmm. kind of the, the two different sizes you're on the three um yeah and that's what i've ridden around lightly and it felt it's a big bike um and but i i think that that would have very different um i think the stem length and and offset that i've run on that bike compared to mine or compared to the two probably be different um yeah i'm, I'm interested to interested to hear what you say and um, hopefully I can get a chance to, to get one in a little more, get some more time on one and experiment with myself on that. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. It is definitely a, a big bike. I'm six feet tall. So it's, I'm kind of on the, the low end of the sizing for that one. And I think if I were able to kind of get the exact custom version I wanted, I'd probably ideally be somewhere between the R2 and the R3 on that particular bike. I'm a little, little bit borderline. Yeah. It's been a lot. It's been, it's been working pretty well and I've been really happy with it. Yeah, I think it's it's cool. Um, I'm six foot as well, and yeah, I think you and I are in the same boat. Like, if you you can almost size your bike compared to what you want it to do. If you want to go absolutely as fast as possible, yeah, go three. If you want to have a little bit more playful, you're not really worried about the stopwatch. Go two. I think that sounds about right, and that is kind of how Trek talks about it too. They they describe it as being not so much about this is the right size for X height, but it's more choose the reach you want and how, how stable versus easy to throw around. You want it to be and go from there, mm-hmm. which I think makes a ton of sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the offset thing is, I don't know it's cool. It's, it's fun. It's, uh, I, I'm super glad that it's, it's just a crown swap, uh, for, for most people. And that if you follow, it's a pretty wide range. So it's, I'm getting really into details here, but if you have 124 millimeter cup to cup distance on your, your head tube, you can run either offset on a 29 inch wheel. So my, uh, Phoenix two nine is, is definitely under that. Um, that one twenty four. It's so I can, I can go either way. As in that's the highest total stack height that you can 
use uh, the flat 47 offset crown with a 29 inch wheel is that correct yes that's correct yep yeah thanks for clarifying that yeah uh with the with the drop crown 57 offset it's big it's like 145 or something it's okay yeah it's, it's pretty lot. sizable yeah <laughs> um and and i think we're seeing a lot downhill bikes um i haven't seen that many with massive head tubes like i feel like that 110 to 120 on a large extra large 29er is pretty standard yeah, especially with the move to 29-inch front wheels. I mean, the fork and front wheel already make the front end super tall. You don't – people aren't doing a, a real big head tube on top of that also. Yeah. Well, sort of to, to bring it back around from our uh, little <laughs> offset diversion there. Anything else going on at Manitou or Hayes in general that you you want to talk about here? Or anything you want to highlight? We have a, a massive amount of projects going on right now. in 2022 is going to be – another big year for us. We've we've had a pretty consistent rollout of new products starting in 19 with the Mezzer, um, R7, Dorado, J-Unit, the Mara Pro rear shock. In 2022, we're just, we're just adding to that line uh, with some, yeah, exciting new product. I can't really go too much into detail about it, but if you keep an eye on our social media, well, there'll be some sneak peek stuff kind of coming. Yeah. Hopefully we can get you on on that stuff before it launches. And Yeah, looking forward to seeing what's in the pipeline here. One last question before I let you go, Phil. The name of the podcast is, after all, Bikes and Big Ideas. So we do like to ask people, what is your big idea? And feel free to go as crazy pie in the sky as you want here. Or if you got something a little more serious, that works too. Anything goes. What do you got? <laughs> oh, man. I've uh, I've listened a few times. I knew this was coming, and I should have taken note on other people's big ideas. I, I mean, I, I'm I think my big idea still is 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 getting more people on bikes and making it more accessible of a sport um, all the way through. If you're if it's the first time you've ever ridden off road, to you're a super talented rider that wants to have the best product. I think that's all kind of in this getting more people on bikes, making it more accessible, getting them the best product that they possibly can so they can have the most fun and, and keep going. And it's, and it's just like a, it's a snowball. Like you get, um, we, we see it in small towns all the time. Like we're, where I'm from, you get a handful of people that are into it. And then all of a sudden it's two handfuls and three handfuls before you know it, you can't even control it. There's people riding all over the place. And, um, yeah, and with kids programs, adults, um, just getting equipment, getting getting programs for the kids to get them in early so they're engaged, they're learning, uh, they're having fun, and they're pushing themselves. I think it's it'll be really cool to see where the sport is in 10, 10, another 10 years or 20 years. Um, I just know how much it's changed since, since I've been doing it and how much it's grown. And I, yeah, I just want to help people get more people on it get more people stoked and have them out having a good time. So I don't know if that's really that much of a big idea, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm into. Hey, it's a good idea. And <laughs> like we said, anything goes with us. So yeah, that's what comes to mind. <laughs> Fair enough. We're into that. We'll take Sweet. it. All right. Well, this has been good. Thanks for the rundown on the new fork and uh, really looking forward to getting on one and 
Thanks for your time, Phil. Clay, get going now. Definitely. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. See ya. See ya. And that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you are enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would like to take 30 seconds and leave us a five-star rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Phil for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again tomorrow over on our Gear 30 podcast, where we will be continuing our series on helmet tech, this time with Wavecell. Bye, everybody.